unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of, taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Hear that phrase at the very end of that passage here. It goes back to the end of chapter 3 as well, a lack. He had commended the church in chapter 3 about some things that they had going on for them that was good. And granted, there is, and we know this, there is no perfect church, except for Victory Way, right? <laughs> there's no perfect church, there's no perfect pastor, but what we do know is this, God is always seeking to sanctify His people to grow us. He is always calling us and drawing us to live a life that is more clean and more holy before Him, more set apart from the world and set apart unto the Word for His use, uh, for His kingdom's sake. And what we find is that as we've gone through this, that while there's no perfect church, it is a reminder that we all, as mature as we might be, or as much as we are maturing and growing in the faith, we always have more room to go. We are never at the finish line until we're dead. That's it. So we won't reach the finish line until it's time to be at the finish line. You and I think that we, we make, oh, we're on this mountain peak, or we've reached this sort of level of maturity. And once we start thinking that we've reached some sort of maturity, we've really only just begun, right? We've got to understand that us beginning to think that we have wisdom or strength of our own or maturity on our own, that is what God would call pride. And there are plenty of folks who should be mature in the Christian faith, yet allow their pride to get in the way and to go, well, look how far I've come. And what it turns into is a competition not to just complete the race and finish and, and do well before the Lord, but it turns into a competition of holiness to see who can be better than the other. Or of thinking, well, my holiness must be good because I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not quite as good as so-and-so, but I'm catching them. Right? Our race is not against each other, brothers and sisters. Right? Our walk with the Lord is not trying to outwalk the person next to us. Our battle, our spiritual fight and spiritual warfare is not trying to outfight the person next to us. Rather, it's together to walk before the Lord, together to run the race and encourage one another to keep pushing on, to keep pressing forward. In the heat of the battle, it is not for us to try to just survive ourselves and forget the man to our left or to our right. It is to gather together and to press on. Paul is not writing to merely just individual Christians. He is writing to a church. And the church is one body made up of many members. This is what we are called to do, brothers and sisters. We are called to live for one another. Your holy living will help your brother or sister in their holy living. My holy living will help you. We see how this all works together. And notice this. If you live in a home and you've got a spouse or kids or grandkids around you, if you've got relationships outside of right here and right now in this very moment in this church, then here's what you know. You know that you are not always on your best game, are you? You're not always in the best of moods with the best of attitudes or having the best responses to your spouse or to conversations outside in the world. Why is that? Right? It is because there's always this battle of sin. There is always this draw of our flesh to live unholy. Holiness, though, drives us to the cross. It drives us to the Lord Himself. Now here as we pick up in verse number 7, 
God hath not called us unto uncleanness. Right? That's what He's called us out of, right? We've been saved from darkness. We've been saved from death. We've been saved from the sinfulness of the world. We've been saved from our old master, sin, right? That's what Romans 6 talks about. And now we've been saved and now we're called unto holiness. God has called believers to live pure lives of holiness. And we've talked about this the past few weeks because it is important. There is a difference in preaching, teaching, and living holy before holiness, right? And a difference between that and a difference between being a Pharisee. The two are not the same. The one proclaims that he preaches holiness but can become a Pharisee, even a legalist to a degree. But here's what we find is that all of us are called to live holy lives, but holy living does not look like the world. And unfortunately, it does not look like most of the modern church today. And by modern church, hear me out, I do not mean those that are more contemporary in their practices. What I mean by the modern church is I mean the church as a whole today. We have lost a call and a sense of holiness, a reverence for holy living, a desire for holy living, because we have done so much consumerism outside in the world and inside the church that what we desire more than anything is just to be filled up by something that makes us feel as if we are growing spiritually. All the while, we're missing the boat because we're not having our lives match what we say we believe. Holiness matters. Green writes, in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that they had been exhorted to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory, while in chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, the God who called them is also the one who will sanctify the members of the church through and through. Their sanctification was not separated from their election of salvation. And so in the second letter to the church, the apostles spoke to the Thessalonians of how God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Paul's aim was that divine salvation might become a present living reality in these believers through their moral sanctification. Their election and calling not only graced them with a secure eternal hope, but also affected a moral transformation in their daily lives. Holiness in their sexual conduct was part of God's eternal plan, which was bracketed in the past by His eternal election and in the future by His eternal glory. Here's what we find. As we have been saved and chosen by God in Christ Jesus, what we find is this, that He has called us to live as Christ lived. He has called us to live by His power, by His strength, by His might, for His glory. He has called us to holiness. It is utter and complete separation from the world. Right? Here's, here's what we find. When we are in Christ, we're now as if you, you would see we're abiding in Him. Right? We are welded to Him, knit together in, with one another. We are together. There should be no separating us. And there is truly, eternally speaking, there is no separating us from Christ, is there? Nothing. Can dominions or thrones, principalities or powers, right? Any heights or depth, right? Nothing can separate us from the Lord. So that's a wonderful truth. However, what we find is that our flesh still tends to cling on to the world. Our flesh still clings on to its own lusts, to its own pride, to its own selfishness, to its own desires. When we give in to the flesh, we are living in a way that is contrary to our new position in Christ. It is not merely enough to try to live a holy or a moral life. There are a lot of moral people who will die and go to hell. There are a lot of moral people who do not know Christ. However, what we find is that those who do have a real salvation will have a real sanctification. It will be slow. It will be lifelong. It will be grueling. 
There will be victories. There will be setbacks. Yet all the while, what we find is that those who are truly in Christ will live and be empowered to live the Christian life. The Christian life is sanctification. It is growing, being formed and fashioned to be made into the image of Christ. But ultimately, one day, what we find is that sanctification is not our end-all, be-all, is it? There's the beautiful doctrine of what is coming one day when we shall see the Lord face to face, and so shall we ever be with the Lord to be glorified, to obtain a glorified body which will no longer be able to sin, which will no longer desire sin, which will no longer be cursed by the sin curse itself. That's what we're longing for. But while we're longing for it and we cannot fully attain it on this earth does not mean that we should not still strive for holiness. We should still seek it above anything. God cares much more about our holiness than He does our happiness. If we live a holy life, there will be much more than happiness there anyways. There will be joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It will be there. Right? It is a joyful thing to serve the God. It is a joyful thing to be holy. It is a miserable thing to live in your flesh. How many of you guys ever know that when you get in your sin, that what happens to you is you become miserable? Anyone ever just had one of those days where you're just a miserable creature? Nothing satisfies you. Nothing makes you happy. Nothing is good enough. You know why? Well, you're not exactly holy then, are you? Right? We're living in the flesh. Therefore, our flesh is not satisfied. It is never, never will be satisfied. We find that when we are living apart from the Spirit of God, when we're living unsanctified, when we're living unholy before God, we will be miserable. That is a testimony to the fact that the Spirit of God now abides in us and is bringing about conviction, but you will remain in that state as long as you choose to. And that's a sad reality that many choose to live in. When God saves us, He does so with sanctification and glorification in mind. Salvation is not merely being saved from sin's penalty, that's justification, but it is being saved from its power, that's sanctification, and saved from its presence, that's glorification. One day where sin itself will be no more. Now all of this is found in the corporate purposes for those who are in Christ. We are to be holy before Him and holy unto Him. That idea of holiness, as we've talked about, it is to be set apart. Not just from something, but unto another. So for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, meaning... God has now called us to be separated from things that are unclean. Now, we're not talking about the law here per se of, you know, you touch, touch a dead body or you walk by a dead carcass or, or you have mixed match clothing, right, with different fabrics. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an unclean life. Uncleanness is the word here that is used that shows this overarching broad theme of anything that is not right before God. Anything that becomes sinful. And, and that is a wide range, is it not? You can do a lot of good things, or uh, seemingly good things, that can be sinful. We find that the unclean is things that defile. Now, in the context, he had been dealing so much with sexual immorality, sexual purity, because if there's anything that will defile someone, it is just that. Homes and families are ravaged by sexual impurity. The church has been ravaged by sexual impurity. There's been everything from abuse to allowing pastors and deacons to commit fornication and adultery without any word being said. These things should never be so. Paul addressed it. God addressed it. We are called to holiness. That is our standard. And it does not move up or down. It remains what it is. Now just as God has set us apart in Christ, we are now to live out what we are. 
We had talked about this a long time ago. We are no longer who we once were. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. New creations with a new hunger, a new thirst, a new desire. Right? We are no longer the, the groundhog, but we are the bird that is meant to fly and to sing. That is now who we are. We must live out of our position in Christ. And every time that we falter, which will be every day, we must not go back to our feelings or our emotions, but go back to who we are in Christ. The position determines the practical living. Our motivation for moral living and moral holiness stems from knowing Christ and being in Him. Practical holiness only comes from resting in positional holiness. We must understand that I am chosen, called, saved by God through Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that He has for me. Do you think that God wants you to be sanctified? Yes. How do you know? He said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Right, there you go. It's pretty simple, isn't it? In verse number 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now we get here into verse 7, and he makes it clear, God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. What God calls us to and expects of us, He will equip us to do. God has given us all that we need to live the Christian life, to live a life that is holy before Him. But the only reason why we don't is because we refuse to use the tools and the power of which He's already given to us. We like to do programs where we like to use our own flesh or our own strength or our own mental awareness or compass. What we've got to understand is that all of those things in the flesh do nothing for the Spirit. We must yield ourselves completely to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, who then sanctifies us slowly but surely, steadfastly, holding us, keeping us secure as we press on to the finish line. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that He has for us. Now as we come into verse 8, we've seen here, and Paul has kicked this He's kicked this horse pretty good the past few verses. Purity, 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 holiness, holiness, holiness. He says here in verse 8, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. Paul shows that to reject this is to reject not only God's teaching, but God Himself. Those that believe that you can be saved and yet live exactly as you once did, they are mocking the Word of God and mocking God Himself. God has saved us not to let us live as we please, but rather He has saved us to save us from living the way that we pleased. Living the way that we please is not pleasing to God. It never has been. It never will be. Now this sounds so old-fashioned today, but the truth remains that this is what holy living looks like. Holiness looks at what God has commanded and those that despise God's commands do not merely despise the requirements or the expectations of God for the Christian, but they despise God Himself because it's God who has given the Word. It is God who has required holiness. It is God who has called us unto holiness, not to uncleanness. It is God who has desired uh, that we would be sanctified, that we would be pure sexually in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. It is God who has done this. So to reject those doctrines is to reject God. Holy Spirit 
and our holiness go hand in hand. Notice this. Who hath given unto us His Holy Spirit. Why? Because before the Holy Spirit came into my life, abided in me, I had no holiness in my flesh. Matter of fact, the Bible still remains true that our flesh is wicked. It's vile. Our flesh, our old nature, our old man, all it wants to do is do what feeds it. Our flesh will never want the spiritual. Our flesh will never want to glorify God. Our flesh only wants to glorify our flesh, ourselves. The Holy Spirit and our holiness go hand in hand. It is the Holy Spirit that shows us holiness, draws us to holiness, and enables us to obey the commands of God. If the believer today did not have the Holy Spirit, there would not be one believer ever sanctified. There would not be one day of progress made in the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. There are many who believe that their own Christian walk is done by their strength, by their power, or that by somehow they've now been saved by God and God has left them now to themselves to, to live their Christian life and to live their walk and to try to please God. Now, without the Spirit of God, there would be no pleasing God. There would be no holiness. We would remain in our sin and that wouldn't be salvation, nor would it ever allow for sanctification. But because the moment that you trusted Christ, the moment you were saved, the Lord's Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself came and abides now within us to teach us, to correct us, to convict us, to encourage us, to equip us, to comfort us, always drawing us through the Word of God to the work of Christ, to show us Jesus, to magnify Him. And without that Holy Spirit there, we would be ruined. What we've done, unfortunately, is we've divided up the Trinity. It never should be so. It has been said that when you think of the Trinity, you should think of the One. But when you think of the One, you should think of the Three. When you think of God, you should not just think of the Word God, you should think of Father, Son, and Spirit from all, eti- from all time, eternity to eternity, working together as one. What we find is that we have given, we have given those who have this high liturgy in the church with much formalism, we've given them the Father, we Baptists, we've taken the Son. We've given the Spirit to the Charismatics. And we think nothing much about the Father or the Spirit. What a shame this is. Because it's all three together that make salvation. All three together that provide sanctification. All three together that will glorify us one day. We find that we must be dependent upon the Spirit to allow us to live for Christ for His glory, that allows us ultimately to give glory to God our Father as we live the Christian life as salt and light in the world. We see that all this comes together. It leads us to depend upon God to serve God. Now that sounds backwards to many of us. Think of it. You wouldn't think that you would need to depend upon your boss to please your boss, would you? None of you go to work and go, Boss, I need you today to make you happy. Right? Of course not. Your boss might feel pretty good about that. But you and I need the Lord to serve the Lord. You and I need the Lord to pray to the Lord. Have you thought about that? Christ always intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit utters and prays for us when we do not know what to pray. And even, we're told that we should be praying in the Spirit. So there's not a moment, whether in the fleshly life or in the Christian life, in the world around us or in the church life, 
that we are not dependent upon God to please God. This means this. If God has called us to worship Him and to please Him and to glorify Him and to live holy, He is there and He is our power and our strength to live for Him. Morris writes, The person who takes sexual sin lightly, who sees it as something that does not matter much, is in effect treating God as of no account. For the prohibition is His. The particular aspect of the divine activity singled out in his give, is His giving of the Holy Spirit. A continuing and present activity. It is not that the offenders despise a God who gave the Spirit a long time ago, but one who keeps on giving Him. Their sin is a sin against the continuing presence of the Spirit. I can tell you this, and this is the reality. We're going to get into this a little bit later today, this morning and tonight, all right? So mark that on your calendars and come on out for it, all right? We've got to understand the Holy Spirit now abides in us. What will we call that? God's presence, will we not? God's presence allows us to enter into His presence. It is God's presence that enables us to come to Him, to live for Him, to be empowered, to be used of Him. What we find is that then, when you and I sin, we are sinning against the presence of God in us. We are sinning and grieving the Spirit of God who abides in us, who is there to teach us, to correct us, to convict us, to give us all that we need to live for the Lord Himself. Our sin is very great. Our sin always sins against God. Our sin always, always, as we find here, that what Morris writes is so true. It is a sin against the continuing presence of the Spirit. The Spirit is there to give us power to not have to give in to those temptations. God Himself has told us that He has made a way through every temptation. A way of escape. That is His abiding presence in us. So when we continue in sin, what we're doing is we are rejecting the gift of God's continual presence. You and I, when we think about this, we think about a loved one who's gone on to be with the Lord. They've left us, right? What you and I miss most is what? Their presence. Being with them. You just wish you could have another front porch sit, right? Another time in the kitchen or whatever time it might be that you had that fond memory of. You just wish you could be with them. Just their presence. Now, you often look back, and we all do this, let's be honest. When someone has gone on, we often look back at all the time that we wasted when they were with us. We look back and we go, man, I wasted that time. I was angry, I was bitter, I was frustrated, I was too busy, whatever it might be. Do you understand today, we're going to get into this, I'm not trying to preach a sermon for you, but do you see and understand that the presence of God abides in you? How little we live with that overflowing in our life. Now, praise God, the Spirit will not leave us. God has told us He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can trust in that. We can trust that He said that He will give us His Holy Spirit to seal us unto the day of redemption. That's the day that we will be called out of here with Him forever. But could you imagine if if you sinned, the Holy Spirit left you for that time? The presence of God left you? It's a frightening thing to think about. 
What's more frightening, though, perhaps, is that we are so accustomed to knowing theologically that God is with us that we have forgotten that God is with us. Does that make sense? The indwelling Holy Spirit expects and enables holiness in the life of the believer. But we'll never have that unless we are dependent upon Him. You say, well, how do I do that? Easy. By faith. Faith is not so complicated. We have overcomplicated the Christian life. We have overcomplicated faith itself. Faith is simply trusting the Lord in His Word and in His work. And God has told us in His Word that He desires to sanctify us and that it is His work to sanctify us from the inside out. However, when our inside is not yielded completely and wholly unto the Lord, we are in big trouble. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been saved, you need the Spirit of God to serve God. You need the Spirit of God to lead you from temptation. And there will be a continual fight and struggle your flesh against the Spirit. We see this in the Bible itself. We see it over uh, dealing with the fruit of the Spirit about all this. Uh, that that uh, the, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to the one to the other, so that ye can do the th- so that you cannot do the things that you would. Galatians five seventeen. Right? We've been given liberty, not liberty to live as if as we want to in our flesh, but rather the liberty to freely live for Christ. And the only way that we fri- that we find freedom is when we find ourselves as a slave to God Himself. We are shackled to His Holy Spirit shackled to His Word. That we find that He is not a cruel Master, but rather a sweet, a kind, and a gentle Master who says, take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That's what the Holy Spirit desires to do for us. To allow us to yoke up to Christ. That even in the Christian life, in Christian work, in ministry, in trials, in temptations, in church hurts even, that we can have strength and power to press on. What you and I need much more of than we've ever needed anything is this gift of the Spirit that allows us to not despise the commands of God, but rather to be dependent upon God to live for God. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us that we are not to despise the commands or the words of God or or the requirements of God. It is the Holy Spirit who lives for holiness in our life. What we find is that we've got to put our flesh to death. We've got to see this gift of the Holy Spirit abiding in us that allows us to love God and live for God. And if we boil down holiness and purity, whether it be sexually, morally of any kind. It is to love God and to live for God. And we will only love God and live for God by grace through faith. Grace has given us the Spirit of God. Faith depends and trusts the Spirit of God. And by grace through faith, the Spirit of God sanctifies us as we yield ourselves to the glory of God as He makes us who we ought to be. Today, I don't know if you struggle with any of these sexual temptations or impurities, but I know you just like I know me. 
I don't know all the details of my heart, but I know I've got sin. We all do. What I know is this. The Spirit can search us, try us, show us any unclean thing that is within us, and cleanse us as we confess it to the Lord. And may we praise God that He has given us what we need to live a pure life because without the Spirit of God, woe is us. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We want to thank You for this day. God, we thank You for Your Spirit that You've given to us. Lord, that we know that You are present, abiding in us, Lord, to cleanse us, to empower us, and enable us to live for You, to love You even. Lord, as well, to allow us to live a holy life before You. God, we long and we look forward to the day where we can put off this flesh and we can put on immortality and we can be glorified in our bodies where we will no longer sin against You. But Lord, until that day, help us now, O God, to have our hearts searched, to have our hearts cleansed, that we would be able to rightly and righteously serve You and praise Your name, that You would get the glory and the honor out of our life. Lord, prepare our hearts now for this worship service that You would bring conviction, that You would bring comfort as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.